Well, good morning and welcome to the Automotive Hour. We thought we'd start out with a national anthem. And, of course, this is radio, so you can't see us, but we're both standing up with our hands over our hearts. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> I may have to take a knee this Sunday when the NFL comes on, however. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm going to do you one even better. <laughs> you can turn it out. <laughs> I'm not even going to watch it. There you go. That's enough for a little political statement. There the you go. <laughs> Hey, this is Automotive Hour. If you want to give us a call, it's 291-6901. Be glad to try to answer any automotive questions you might have. And you can call us from the local area, which is Baton Rouge, or you can call us from anywhere in the world if you know the right world code. And our area code here is 225, so give us a call because right now is the perfect time to get your questions there answered. You go. Got all our lines wide open, got our minds all fresh and ready to go. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> glad to try to help you out. Your car won't start, won't stop. Either way, we'll get it going for you. Or get it stopped. Or get it stopped. There you go. <laughs> exactly right. You know, we were chit-chatting just before we came in, uh-huh. and you brought up a very, very good point, and that is the cost of repairing a collision-damaged car. I'm not going to say wreck, because it's not always a wreck. It could uh-huh. be bumping something in a parking lot. It could be hitting a big pothole. Sure. It could be maybe just brushing against something. But the cost has risen astronomically in the last several years and you can give that mostly to the technology that is in vehicles today that is exactly right i know a lot of people want to point fingers at the body shops all those guys are ripping us off that it was ten thousand dollars no 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 No. (laughs) you know the cost of wages in the automotive repair business has not risen that drastic i guess they've they've risen about in relation with inflation and everything else correct but when you start looking at the technologies that are damaged in even the most minor collisions today. Sure. That's where the vast majority of the costs come in. For instance, when somebody just bumps into your bumper, at one time you had a chrome steel bumper out there. and It was held on by a couple braces. Brackets, whatever. Took maybe 15 minutes to take it off, put a new one on, or maybe even be able to pound it out and send it out and have it re-chromed. I remember one... Depending on the application. Yeah, 40 years ago when I owned a body shop, we'd send bumpers out, and they would just pound the dents out, grind them back down, and re-chrome them. Well, that was a a whole business. Yeah, that was a whole business of its own. Of course, nowadays what you've got is a big rubber fascia cover with some type of collision absorbent behind it. it. But more to the point, you have all these adaptive, cruise sensors radar sensors right parking sensors parking sensors possibly cameras and everything else in the world tucked up under there or behind right behind it or even even molded into it that's exactly right and now when you get into a collision first off it's probably going to be a three and a half four hour job to get that bumper off sure then you start replacing all the components that have been crushed or damaged or banged up no longer work. No longer work. A lot of this stuff has to be programmed, right. which takes expensive equipment that you have to pay subscriptions on. So all that's added back in that cost. The training for the people who do it has to be far, far greater. Sure. And when you get through, you've got to paint it all because it's not like a piece of chrome that was just up there. You bolted it on and you, and you went with it. It has to and, be painted, matched to the car. Right. And painting a, a plastic front, uh, plastic bumper, period, is different than painting a, a body, fender, a yeah. body part. Well, right. it's all kinds of special primers and flexible agents and such as that. The materials are extremely expensive. So the thing is, you've got just a very, very minor little collision there. Maybe you pulled up in your garage, garage too far, the hit the kid's bicycle, and poked a hole in the bumper cover. 
Well, that's not going to be a fifty or sixty dollar repair. No, not by no means. That's going to be a six to ten thousand dollar repair. And reason being, like I said, is vastly because of all the technologies and stuff that they have crammed onto these vehicles. Right, and all that stuff. It's not that you can elect just to not use that component anymore. Right. All that stuff is on a can network. A, a network, and if the computers can't see each other and talk to each other, it it'll shut the whole network down, and therefore, when the network's down, the car's not going to run. Right. That's right. We had a fella came in early this week, and he had a little. I think it was a Tahoe, if I'm not mistaken, some kind of little General Motors SUV. Uh-huh. And what it would do is it would go to limp mode, so it wouldn't go over about 20 miles an hour, and it would start shutting down. The radio would quit working. The right. door locks would quit working. I mean, it just had a mass of problems. And it took us about, I think, four hours just to find the problem because every single computer on the car had just a mass of codes in sure. it. So. That data was almost useless to us just because the vast multitude of codes, you could not possibly run them all down. Mm -hmm. And you could clear them out, and as soon as you started the car and tried to drive it, they would all all pop back back in again. It was all kinds of unidentified code, network codes, just all sorts of things. So the codes themselves really didn't give you a lot of guidance other than you knew that there was something on this network. That was One of those 70 to 75 computers on the right. network or the linkage in between has got a major problem. And as it worked out, Jeff finally located it. And what it was, the motor mounts had gotten bad on the vehicle. Right. And when it did, the motor sagged down, and there was a bolt on one of the motor mounts which had rubbed through the wiring harness, the engine wiring harness. It was stud. Mm-hmm. And the stud part of it didn't have a nut or anything on the top of it, and the wiring harness in a normal situation, ran on the side of it. But when the motor mounts went bad, the harness moved over the top of it. Mm -hmm. So every time you would accelerate, it would take that stud, and it would work it back and forth inside that harness Mm -hmm. until it wore the the coating off and started shorting the wires out. And it just happened to short the wrong wire because this was one of the main uh, class 2 serial data wires. And when it went to ground, it basically scrambled everything on that whole system, just went berserk. Yep. And, you know, the thing is, the repair took about an hour, I guess, yeah. To strip the harness back, tape it all up, replace a piece of wire. But it took four hours just, just to, find to find it. it. And really, I would say that was sort of a lucky stroke that we were able to find it because on something like that where it's intermittent, you might eat up 10 times that much time. Oh, definitely. <laughs> trying to Depending find on that. how intermittent it is. Yeah, you're looking for a needle in 10,000 haystacks <laughs> here. And it's going, the point is, it's going to be expensive sure. to repair this kind of stuff. And I know we talk about that all the time, but it's just this is the reason you don't get mad at the shop when they tell you what it's going to cost to fix the vehicle. It's the vehicle you selected that's, and the vehicles that are being built. That's it. The vehicles so, that are being built and offered out to the public. You know, you go out and buy a vehicle, man, it does all kind of cool stuff, and it, that's just the technology that's out there right now. Mm-hmm. In fact, I, I was talking once to a guy who sells cars, and – I told him, I said, well, why don't they ever uh, have just the, the regular stripped-down models for mm-hmm. people who want that? And he said, Lewis, those cars sit on a lot. They don't get sold. Right. Because everybody says they want good basic transportation, but that's not what they buy. <laughs> and the car manufacturers are very, very astute as to what people buy. Sure. And not what they say. They don't listen to what you say. They listen to what you do. Mm-hmm. And the fact is when people go to the car lot and they're looking at these cars and they see this one that does all these cool things, it's just human nature to be attracted to that. Right. 
And many cases, you don't notice that it costs a whole lot more for the car. Because you can get a loaded up car for not a lot more than a more stripped down car. You know, this car might be twenty thousand. This might be twenty five. But when you're spending that kind of money, or forty and forty five, whatever right. the numbers are, what, what's another five grand? But that's what you may think when you're buying it. However, the long term effect on that is going to be a whole different story. Sure. Because the more gadgets that are on there, the more stuff there are to break, and then, but also exponentially, the more it costs to repair. Correct. You know, exponentials work really, really funny. I was talking to a fellow the other day. And he was talking about this guy was a doctor, and we were just sitting there talking about drinking because we were drinking. <laughs> he says human liver, average human liver, can remove one ounce of alcohol, which is a normal drink, in one hour. Mm-hmm. However, if you have two drinks, it's not going to take two hours; it's going to take two and a half hours. And if you have three drinks, it's going to take close to four hours. Okay, because it's exponential. Each time you add another one to it, it gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And that's right. kind of the way those things work. Same thing with costs on vehicles. When you look at, like, the lighting systems, which some of them are very cool. They're all molded in. They got all these little LEDs and all in there. But you're going to have to remove the entire bumper fascia to get to to it. it. Now, that's that's whether you got a wreck or whether you just try to change a light bulb. Some are accessible from the back. Most are not. Mm -hmm. Most, like you said, you have to take the front cover off, which takes an hour plus, depending on the application. I've seen some cost as much as three hours to take That's it right. off, change the bulbs, and put them back together. Well, and there's always the possibility of doing some damage sure. to the paintwork or whatever painting. when you start removing and installing all this stuff. Something not lining up exactly right or something getting scratched or whatever. Yeah, and you got a lot of different types of fasteners. Most that of are, them being plastic. Right, and that are specific to that type of vehicle. Well, that's right. You know, the clip that fits the Chevrolet is not going to fit that. Honda. Pontiac or of, Honda or of even that Cadillac. Right. It, they're all vehicle specific. specific, which means the dealership has to stock a multitude of these fasteners. Now, when you buy a whole lot of something, you, you, get, you a get, a, get a little bit cheaper, yeah. and it doesn't cost much. If you sell a whole lot of something, you can sell it a little bit cheaper. But exactly. when you got all these different things, not so much. <laughs> hey, take our first quick little break, and be right back with a whole lot more. Get your kicks on Route 66. Hey, Jim. Becky said you were in the office and, whoa, what is up with all the charts and graphs, buddy? Oh, I'm using my system I've developed to keep up with the maintenance on my three cars. Is that an armillary sphere? Yes, yes it is. So, the oil gets changed every third full moon. Brake pads divide the years Becky and I have been married by our oldest son's age. Timing belt is leap year, except when it's on the time. You know there's a better way, right? I just take my cars into Agco once a year for a general inspection. They give me an honest opinion on the maintenance and repairs I need. Sometimes it's just an oil change and they send me on my way. One time, they caught something that could have led to a huge repair. Saved me thousands. Wow, that sounds great. You know, I'm always trying to save money any way I can. Uh, Let me get Agco's number online and uh, give them a call. Is that dial-up? Dude, there's a better way to save money. Schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go. Hey, welcome back. You just joined us in the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldazan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Go ahead and give us a call. Our number is 291-6901. And should you happen to miss your opportunity to get your question answered live today, 
you can always go to our website and get your questions answered that way. The address is agcoauto.com. That is A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O.com. There's a contact bar on each and every page. Just click the button, fill out the form, and send it in. There you go. Couldn't be any easier than that. And, of course, today we were talking a little bit about collision damage and how the costs have risen so drastically in the last few years. But, of course, we take a call on any topic. It doesn't have to be on that. As always. As always. Whatever you've got on your mind, you just give us a call. We're glad to try to help you out and point you in the right direction. You know, we were chit-chatting just uh-huh. a bit about how even a minor, minor damage to an automobile body can cost so much to sure. repair uh, nowadays. And I'm not going to get into airbags right now because we can talk about that a little bit in the later in the show. But stuff like a lot of body panels are non-repairable by today's standards. Things that used to be fairly easy to just pound a dent out and grind it down and maybe fill it a little bit mm-hmm. like a fender or whatever. Nowadays, it's more a matter of replacing those sure. panels. I know one thing that comes to my mind is like the Ford F-150 with the aluminum body. Right. Now, that may sound great to some people. Well, it's aluminum body, it saves weight, yeah, yeah, yeah. But even a minor dent now is going to involve replacing a panel, and a sure. minor dent is going to be a whole lot more than just a minor dent because aluminum is a whole lot softer and less resilient than steel is. Right. I mean, if it's going to react different during an accident, it's going to be a bigger repair bill because now you're not dealing with regular sheet metal you're dealing with an aluminum panel standardized stuff now you've thrown a curve in there so now the body shop has to be prepared to service all the multitude of steel vehicles out there and then have all the extra stuff to do the aluminum aluminum like welding aluminum is a whole different process from welding steel painting aluminum is takes different primers different catalysts different technologies different training for the people and all that sort of thing so you have to have a lot more stuff on hand which means more cost to the customer. One of the things that a lot of people don't realize, and that is any cost is inevitably passed on to the customer Sure. in any business. I remember back in the early 70s, they had this term called obscene profits. They said all companies are making obscene profits. Let's tax them. <laughs> okay, well, guess what? You put a 10-cent tax on all company, and guess gas goes up 15 cents sure. because they got to cover that 10 cents that they're collecting. Plus, plus the aggravation for for dealing with it. <laughs> right. So, yeah, businesses do not pay tax. Businesses collect tax. Exactly. That is one thing that everybody needs to wrap their brain around. And I know that's not the common way of thinking nowadays. It but is not. And the more you watch TV or listen to the radio, the more you hear that. Yeah. That, you know, let's raise tax on these people because they're not paying tax. Yeah, that's right. Uh, this well, business because they're not paying tax. Yeah, and like I said, businesses collect tax. That's it. They don't pay tax. They pass that right on and to the And the consumer. same thing with any other cost that's forced on them, whether it's through regulations or technology or whatever, they are going to pass that on to the customer or go out of business, one right. or the other. So inevitably, Joe Sixpack is going to end up paying the bill. Right. So just kind of something to think about. Exactly. Let's go to the phone lines. Mark, good morning, Mark. Yes, I'll uh, give my question and then hang up for your answer. Sure. Um, I've got a quote from a dealership for an 06 timing belt change, mm-hmm. and it just seemed abnormally low. And Would you comment on that? Oh, absolutely, um, Mark. In fact, you don't have to hang up because I may have okay. a couple more questions. But what a lot of dealerships, and I'm not going to pick on dealerships because I guess anybody could do this, but they will it's sort of like bait and switch thing. What they do is they quote you on a belt slap. Now, belt slap is replacing the timing belt. Now, technically, that is all you would have to do. However, this is the kicker. 
the majority of that quote is labor to get in there to get to that belt. Now, while you're in there, depending on the type of car, there's going to the be mileage. some camshaft seals. There's going to be some crankshaft seals. There's going to be an idler pulley. There's going to be a water pump. There's going to be a lot of other stuff. The thing is, I can quote you a low price, get you in the door, and then call you back. Oh, look, Mr. Jones, we were in there, and we noticed this water pump looks bad. That's going to be another $600. And we noticed the cam seal looks like it might be leaking. So, inevitably, you're going to pay the higher price. It's just sort of a dishonest way of getting you in there to do that. What I feel a more equitable way to do a timing belt job is, you know if you've got 100,000 miles on the car, water pumps, as a general rule, are going to last 120 somewhere. You're right there. The water pump's right there. Just go ahead and change it. You've paid the labor to get you to it. you paid it anyway. The camshaft seal, the crankshaft seal, the tensioners, all these things, the outside belts, just go ahead and quote the man up front on all those. Now, if you say, look, Lewis, I'm just trying to get by on this car. I want the minimum. Okay, fine. We'll take that off. But you got to understand that if I charge you $400 to do this timing belt job, six months from now the cam sale starts to leak and leaks on that brand new belt, guess what? The job's being done yeah, over Yeah, it's again. another $500 to go back and change the cam sale. You know, and then if the water pump starts to leak, it's another $500 to go back and change the water pump. So my thought is just to change all the consumable items that either have failed or will fail before I'm ready to do time belt again while I'm there. I just think it's a lot more honest way of doing the job. Got it. That's Okay, I, I figured something like that. Mm-hmm. All right, thank you very much. Okay, man, thanks for calling. Bye-bye. You know, that's funny. We had a customer who came in. In fact, he's a customer now, but he had gotten a coupon in the mail for a timing belt job. Right. And he went in to get the time belt done, and, of course, they first start trying to bid him up on it. Well, he kind of resented that. So what he did, he said, no, he said, I'll tell you what, just go ahead and put it back down. I'll take it somewhere. Oh, well, that's going to be this much. Mm-hmm. Says, well, then just put a time belt on. So okay. they put the time belt on. Well, about three months later, sure enough, the cam seal started leaking. It leaked all over the new belt. Right. Well, then he brings it to us, and we did have to end up doing the whole job over again. He said, well, I just consider that a, a, a lesson learned, a $400 stupid fee, <laughs> <a> stupid tax. <laughs> and I laughed. But yeah, they're, you know, kind of like we talked about before, there's nothing, there's no free lunch right. ever. You know, you're going to get no more than you pay for in every case. I mean, there are probably some places just because of the way their overhead is structured that might be a little more expensive than another place might be. However, when you start seeing things 40, 50, 60% less one place, you chances gotta start thinking, are yeah. something is not getting done because costs just don't vary that greatly mm-hmm. across the board. You know, most dealerships, their costs are going to be higher because they are forced by the manufacturer to do warranty work more or less at a loss. Correct. They're getting paid a very, very low rate to do warranty work. They don't choose to do that, but part of the deal is, hey, you can make a killing selling cars. You can charge whatever you want on customer pay work. You can tear the head off on parts. We don't care. But on warranty work, this This is how much we're going to pay. Right. This is what we're paying. I was talking to a friend of mine who owns a dealership up in Canada, and he said that he was talking about low efficiency in the shop. Okay. And we kind of chit-chatted back and forth a little bit, and he said, Uh, this happened to be a Ford dealership. He says they may get a truck in with an engine problem. They got the body off of this truck sitting there. They may have to sit there and wait three, four days for a factory guy to come out and look at it. That guy's bay is tore. is just completely tied up. Right. Because it's sitting there with a chassis on the floor with a body in the air. There's nothing they can do about it. They can't speed it up. They can't put it back together. They can't do the job. And then they only getting paid a lower, significantly lower lower rate to do the work. So I said, well, the reason you're 
productivity is so low is because of having to, he said, well, I can't get around that. I said, well, the only other answer would be to add more base space where you can afford to accommodate so, this waste. Right. But, yeah, when that is forced on you, what it does, you have to inflate costs somewhere else to, make to up cover that. Like we said before, nothing ever free. Somebody's going to pay for it. So, basically, the American public is subsidizing the warranty process. Okay. You know, the, you, they're they're losing money on that. That's why dealerships are generally way more expensive than, say, independent shops that don't have to do that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. So, other than that, though, cost of a job per se is not going to vary a huge yeah. amount from one, unless somebody's missing something. Let's go back to the phone lines with Matt. Good morning, Matt. Hey, good morning, guys. How you doing? Doing great, sir. Good morning. Quick question. I got a 2012 Chevy Tahoe. It's got about 69,000 miles on it, mm-hmm. and... We live in South Carolina, so it's pretty warm here as well. Mm-hmm. And it seems the AC is not blowing as cold as it used to, especially on our warmer days. And I guess my question is, my understanding is that's a sealed system, right? So yes. unless there's a leak or something. Well, yes, sir. Yes, they're, they're all sealed. What I would start out with, Matt, first off is to get a thermometer and put in the vent, put in a center vent and accelerate <laughs> up to about 1,500 RPM. And see what that temperature is. It should be down in the 40 somewhere. The lower, the better. I mean, 48 is good, but, of course, 43 is even better. But if it's blowing maybe 50, 55 degrees, then definitely you do not have adequate cooling there. That's just kind of a cheap, easy way to diagnose it. The first place that I would start to look is that make sure the system is fully charged. And unfortunately, you can't just go in and throw gauges on it and read that. You would have to evacuate the charge out, measure it, and then see. And if it is low, then it's leaking somewhere. Now, if the charge is not low, then we're probably looking, then you start looking at your pressures and all that, make sure you're making adequate pressure and all those sorts of things. The next thing is looking at a reheat situation where the air is being reheated because under the dash is a number of little actuator doors that move things. You have a heater core and you have an evaporator core. Evaporator's cold, heater's hot, and the actuators blend that temperature. That's how they regulate because the compressor is always putting out maximum cold, but it blends hot air with it to make it comfortable for the driver and the passengers. If those doors leak or don't seal off completely, that heater's going to win because the heater is about 200 degrees, and like you said, the AC is around 48 degrees, so the heater's going to win. If it starts leaking heated air back into it just a little bit, it's going to diminish the cooling a great, great deal. Okay. Now, okay. Uh, the and last then- thing, make sure it's going to recirc position. In other words, if it's drawing fresh air in on a hot day, let's say you've got 90-degree ambient temperature and maybe – 60, 70% humidity, if you're drawing outside air in, that system is not going to deal with that. If your own research is keeps cooling and dehumidifying the same air, it's going to work much, much, much better. And there are some things that will keep it from going to recirc. So make sure it's on recirculate, check the temperature, and see. The last thing I can think of is notice when it feels uncomfortable. If it's at an idle. It feels great going down the road 60 miles an hour, but when you come to a stop or an idle and you're sitting there, it starts to warm up. There's a number of other things. One as simple as maybe a dirty throttle body because if the idle on the Chevy pickup drops below a certain point, it shuts the AC off, and it's going to start warming up pretty significantly. It's going to take it a while to catch back up, particularly on a hot day. Another thing would be the cooling fans not drawing enough air through the condenser or a dirty condenser. So that's a whole, whole bunch of different things. So first off, get a thermometer, put in, check, and see if it is getting cool enough. 
and if it is, drive around with it and see if it gets warmer when you're sitting still because that's going to be a whole okay. different family of things from not cooling going down the road. Okay, and that's definitely, you mentioned uh, at different times, when I'm driving down the highway at, you know, 50, 60, it seems to catch up to itself and then mm-hmm. it's cooling. It's definitely when I'm, you know, stop and go and okay. at an idle. So. Well, get, get a thermometer uh, and put in it and watch that temperature when you come to an idle and see if it's starting to come up there. Because, again, it could be something as simple as the condenser needs cleaning. A lot of dust and yep. dirt can get in there, and it restricts that condenser. So when it sits and idles, the head pressure goes sky high, and it'll shut itself down. The fan's not drawing enough air through it can be another thing. Right. Just because it's running doesn't mean it's running at full speed. Right. They, they can run from 49% yep. to 99%, and if they're not commanding enough, you something like a sensor, a high-pressure te- high sensor in the line where it doesn't know the pressure's getting too high and it's not drawing those fans enough. Even an idle, if the idle goes too low, it's going to shut down. What should the idle be on that car, do you know? Probably up around 650 somewhere. But if it okay. drops down I'll, to around 600 to 550, it's going to, it's going to shut the AC down. Okay. Well, I'll put the thermometer in, start there. Okay. And I'll, I'll yeah, and make sure it's staying on recirc also. Uh, yep, some of those can be reprogrammed that. to where it automatically defaults to recirc. Okay. All righty. Cool. Thank you so much, guys. Thanks, man. Bye-bye. All right, we got to take one more quick little break, but we'll be right back. Hey, Mike, heading out for your run? <laughs> I just knocked out three miles myself. Yep, did my meditation this morning to de-stress, and now I'm going to get a little exercise. Tomorrow I need to take the car into the shop, though. That shaking problem's getting worse. Uh, You know, you should take care of your car like you take care of your body, and it would save you some money. What do you mean? Preventative maintenance is key. Me and Kathy bring our cars in once a year to Agco for a general inspection. They give them the once-over and perform the maintenance needed to keep us on the road. I haven't had any kind of major problem with my cars in forever. I guarantee they would have caught the cause of your shaking issue and fixed it before it became a problem. And probably saved me money, too. Yep. All right, I'm heading home this evening for steak and lobster. Then Kathy and I are going to test run our new hot tub. Surf and turf and a new hot tub? Yeah, and champagne. Saving money on your car allows you to enjoy the finer things in life, Mike, my boy. Schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go. Hey, welcome back. If you just join us, the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldezan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, Tree Drills will try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Today, we're chatting a little bit about collision damage, and I don't want to really use the word collision damage, but when a body or part of the body of the car gets, gets damaged. damaged, and why it costs so much to try to fix that kind of stuff. Even the undercarriage yeah, anything. of cars mm-hmm. is really susceptible more now today than it used to be. Oh, yeah, and a lot of really expensive components. You know, just like our last caller with the air conditioning, a lot of times, too, if the air conditioning on a newer car with 1234 YF, I'm sorry, 1234 YF, I just hadn't got that down yet. (laughs) But if that system gets damaged, it's going to cost about five to ten times what a 134A system did just to open it and reseal it. Even if the condenser is not damaged, but you have to remove the condenser to get something off. That much, that, much higher cost will be added back in right. because that, of the technology of that air conditioning system. That is the newest refrigerant out in automobiles right now. Today. Today, <laughs> yeah, exactly. It could change tomorrow, but today, that is the newest thing out, and not a lot of shops are tooled up for it yet. Mm-hmm. 
And well, a lot the, of the shops, cost, the yeah, cost a lot of, of shops are resisting the cost because you have to change all of your equipment. It, it, it's it, basically everything. It's flammable and maybe even explosive under certain conditions. So all the surface equipment has to be totally different. All new training. It doesn't do anything but that one type of refrigerant. Yep. And the point is, if it's damaged, if the condenser's damaged, that's going to be one big expense because condenser's different also. On right. It. But if any component has to be removed, anything of the compressor has to come off or one of the lines has to be broken it's going to add a significantly higher cost of repair yep. to the customer and i could hear some people thinking yeah well i got insurance so i'm not worried about it well guess what who pays the insurance? insurance companies do not just <laughs> absorb all this additional cost no they don't so what happens is that your cost of insuring this car goes up goes up significantly because these guys are not stupid they know they can look at this stuff and they say well it's gonna cost this much repair of this car We've got to collect this much in premium right, to pay for that. And as the older cars are getting phased out more and more and more, and the newer cars are coming in, because right now the older cars are kind of subsidizing some of that, mm -hmm. they are relatively inexpensive to repair, and they're kind of spreading that cost over a bigger base. Right. But as the newer cars become the norm, the cost is going to have to go up. Yeah, the cost is going to have to go up significantly for repair. Now, you mentioned a good, good point, and that is the undercarriage of the car. I know we had a 2017 Tahoe coming the other day. We did. They ran over something in the on the interstate. It, was, it looked like a big, maybe a big piece of concrete or maybe a steel, something steel. It fell off the back of a truck, but it was in the lane, and, you know, inevitably it got driven over. And when that, whatever it was, hit the undercarriage, the frame of that vehicle, because the center of it kind of hangs down, that's what mm -hmm. caught it first. And it took that front cross member and bent it and pushed it back underneath the vehicle. Well, the rack and pinion is bolted to the back of that cross member. And when it hit, it twisted it, and it broke that rack and pinion in half. Mm -hmm. It was still enough together to be able to steer it, but it was broken through the electrical motor right. that run, now runs the electric power steering. Cracked the housing on it. So on that vehicle. Now, first time it rains and the water gets in that electric motor, it quits working. that's it. Now, this is not your $300 rebuilt rack and pinion. This is a $1,700 electric rack and pinion. Dealer only. Dealer only. 17 and 18 only. Right. So there's not going to be a whole lot of these in the junkyards. And not only does it have to be replaced, it may even have to be programmed to the car. Exactly. So the thing is, this repair, had you have to replace the frame in it, this would have been probably a fifteen twenty thousand dollar repair for run over something on the interstate. Sure. Luckily, we could straighten the frame out enough. The guy says, "Look, I don't have insurance on it. I don't care about the looks as long as you can make it drive straight and not wear tires. not wear tires and be safe. Uh -huh. That's all I want." So we were able to straighten out the cross member well enough, but we did have to buy a seventeen hundred dollar rack and pinion yep. to put under it, as well as a control arm. And, again, this is just running over something on the interstate. Maybe a piece of concrete had popped up. Maybe a piece of curb had gotten out into the road. He wasn't sure what he had hit, but whatever it was, it was solid because well, it did some damage. piece of concrete fall off the back of a truck, you know, yeah. breaking up a road somewhere. They put down a truck. They haul the pieces off. piece of that falls out in the road. You're coming along 65 miles an hour and hit it. Well, yep. that is a significant obstruction <laughs> to, and, a, to a light-duty vehicle. And there are all kind of things that you can hit in the in the interstate if you ain't careful oh I mean, absolutely i looked up the other day and ran over a boat fender mm -hmm. i mean it was right out there in the middle of the lane and by the time i saw it all i could do was center the truck yeah over it and luckily it rolled underneath the truck but it didn't do any damage 
Now, I was I was lucky. Even smaller things like some of the fuel lines and all on cars, they, of course, are plastic, right. which are nylon, which is good from the perspective they don't rust, they don't corrode, but they're non-repairable in many, many cases. And this fuel line may run all the way from the engine back to the fuel tank. As one piece. As one piece. So it is going to be a good deal of labor to replace it, and the component is not going to be inexpensive. And if you bust that fuel line, you're not going to drive the car. It's going to have to be replaced. And a lot of those fuel lines and things of that nature are put on before the body is put on the vehicle. So to do it correctly, the body should come off, the line change, and the body put back on. Right. A lot of times you can get away with with working the line Mm -hmm. without taking the body off. But there are some occasions that the body would have to come off of the vehicle to replace a component that was put on in that order that's right we had an infinity come in earlier this week also and check engine light i think it was going into a limp mode or something and jeff checked it and again it has i can't even say the name it was so long and drawn out something like a lift camshaft lift position reporting sensor blah 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 whatever okay there's one on the back of either head and this car had been wrecked at some point in time and apparently the motor had sprung up enough to where the connector hit the firewall and broke the connector. Gotcha. Now, what happened is that they had kind of attached it some kind of way, stuck it on or whatever, but after he bought the car, the connector pops off. Or it does, check engine light pops on, goes limp mode, won't run, right? and all that. So brings the car in. Well, I call the Infinity deal and say, look, I'd, li- I'd like to get that little pigtail and sensor for this yeah, 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 yeah. Uh-huh. So he calls back and says, Van Lewis, that, that pigtail is not available separately. I said, okay, what does that mean? He says, you got to buy the entire engine harness. Okay. Engine harness is $1,800 just for the part. Right. And probably about 15 hours labor to, to put replace it, it. Now, alternatively, you could buy a harness for $1,800, cut the part off you need, and put plug it on that, that in. I guess you could do that. Kind of a shame to do it, but I guess you could do that. What we ended up doing, we were able to take the connector and glue it on with a sort of a low, low yield type adhesive to where mm-hmm. if you ever do have to get it off, it will come back off. You should be able to heat it up and get it off. And like I told him, I said, we're going to try this. Right. But I'm going to tell you, the proper repair is a new harness. You know, but you're going to spend five grand for right. a harness installed. And we can do this for a couple hundred bucks. Hopefully, it'll work out. We drove it a good bit after that before it was doing it just about every time, and it never did do it again. So sometimes you have to try to use a common-sense approach on this stuff. Sure. But the point is, a lot of times, they don't sell individual components. It's all part of an assembly. Mm-hmm. And you, you start replacing these huge assemblies that are put in there when the engine and the body of the vehicle aren't there, and exactly. it's going to eat up a whole, yeah. whole bunch of time. It takes 15 minutes to put it in with all the rest of the components off. Yeah, with the engine out. And the, right, it takes 15 minutes to put this harness in right. with all the pieces out. But, but when you get it all put together. to get the motor out exactly. to do that 15 minutes yeah. of work. <laughs> exactly. But, you know, these are the reasons why. And, again, I know it's easier to kill the messenger. Sure. You know, you're getting mad at the shop because he charges so much. But. Many, 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 many times, and I would go so far as say most of the time, the high, high cost repair has very little to do with the shop. Right. He's just trying to work with what he's been given. It more has to do with all the stuff that's been put on these vehicles and the way it's put on there. 
And again, you got to remember, vehicle manufacturers really don't want to have cars repaired. No, they would just assume you get rid of that one and go buy another one. Crush it and buy a new one because they're making 50, 60 grand every time you buy a new car. Right. And even if the dealership does the work, the manufacturer is making jump change on a sure. repair. They can't even account for a four or $500 repair. That's nothing to them. Right. That's not even enough for them to even worry about. They want those forty, fifty, sixty thousand dollars $60,000 sales over and again. So it's kind of sort of in their best interest to and complicate we, the repair process to the degree they can. And we see that in the information, the service information we're oh, able to, to get. Some of it we're not able to get just yeah. because the manufacturer had not put it. it out. Well, they just don't provide it and because they don't want to make it any easier. And the type of information they give you, which could make the repair process easier. For instance, this code sets because it was expecting to see four volts on this line, and now it's seeing less than that. Okay, tell me that, and I can do it. But they don't say it. It's no. some code oxygen sensor fault well what does that even mean exactly you know that could be it's so ambiguous that it's going to take you a lot of time just to figure out what it means before you can start to fix the problem yep let's go back to the phone lines with billy good morning billy good morning how y'all doing guys? doing great doing sir. great good better than i deserve like somebody else says <laughs> <There you go. laughs> no i called you last week on a tire sensor i went and checked at a place i'm not gonna mention no names about a tire sensor and they told me i needed Two kinds. I use either one kind or the other. How do you know what kind you need? You can't see the tire sensor. It's on a Chevy, a Chevy pickup. It's a 2007 Silverado. Yeah. What happens? See, the original sensor was an aluminum kind of a threaded sensor that went it was, into is a bolt in bolt in sensor, and the right. replacement sensor is going to be just a pull through. It's going to look like a regular valve stem. Yeah. Regular black valve stem. I mean, really, if you don't care that you can look at the valve stem and tell. But if you don't care, either one will work. They right. both do the same job. They both program the same. One's going to have a rubber valve stem. One's going to have like a metal bolt-in valve stem. So they both they both will do the job. Both of them will sure. do the job. But, sure. I mean, you can but, look at the valve stem and see which one you got. Yes, yeah, so they said it was around 50 bucks. That sound about right? Yeah, 50 mm, 60 is, bucks yeah. somewhere. And then takes a little time to put it in and program it. But the, the but to that is yeah. this one has gone bad. All four of them are the same age. Yep. It's just this right. one happened to fail first. Right. Yep. Don't be upset if the light comes back on and another one's gone yeah, out. Yeah, you put it in three months from now, six months from now, the lights will pop back on. It'll be another one. E- inevitably, they're all going to go out. Right. And the best thing to do would be to wait till you get a set of tires, have it done at that time because the labor's already there. Right. You're changing the tires. Well, the valve stem well, is right it's there. Gonna be a while. It's going to be a while for good tires because i got some pretty good ones on Yeah, well, if you got good okay, tires, well, you want to change the one, you can. Yeah. It's just you have just to expect. understand that the other three probably aren't too, too far behind. So I'll probably wait because... That kind of money, and that's not a big deal because I can check it with a tire. Well, yeah, I mean, like the way we did for 10,000 years before we exactly. had all. <laughs> right, right. And another thing, I'm having to add a little brake fluid every now and then, but it's not showing up on the ground. Okay, tell yeah, you what listen. you want to do. Pull the master cylinder off of the booster and look inside, and I'll bet you a dollar to a donut you got fluid in the booster because they had a huge, huge problem with that. Now, you need to jump on that because, right. number one, you're going to lose your brakes inevitably. But it can also damage the catalytic converter because it's sucking brake fluid into that booster, and it's going to suck it into the engine, and it's going to burn it, which it's not designed to run brake burn brake fluid. And so, so goes how do, catalytic, fix, how, do, yeah, how do I fix that? New you got to replace the bo- booster and master because they got a revised part, and the new master's not going to fit the old booster. And it's fairly easy to do as far as the labor. Now, when you go to bleed it out, you're going to have to have the scan active, tool. It has active braking. You're going to have to have a scan tool to func- to run the function on the ABS unit. And you've got to be extremely careful about bleeding it out by foot because, like Lewis was saying, it has an active braking system. And if you try to foot bleed it, the pedal's going to go away and it's going to take forward and won't come back up. (laughs) It's going to take you forever to try to get the brake pedal back on this thing. Yeah, I've seen that happen before. Oh, yeah. 
The easiest right. way to tell if you got active braking is to go around to the rear axle, look underneath uh-huh. on the tube right up next to the brake drum, and yep. see if there's a sensor right there. Yeah, and most of them do have Most it. of them have one on each side. Right. And, and that's just active that's braking. So it, correct. it's going to be a bear to, uh, to bleed, to bleed out. out. I got you. I got you. I appreciate y'all's time, guys. God okay. bless you. Have a great day. Have a Thank great you. Day. Thanks, man. Bye-bye. All right, we've got to take our final quick little break. Hey, we'll be right back with a whole lot more. So, Tina, are you interested in shopping next weekend? Oh, well, me and Harold leave for our European cruise on Friday. Another cruise? What? Are you all blowing the kids' inheritance? (laughs) No, we're just smart with our money. Like, our cars are paid off, and we're big on preventative maintenance. Harold takes them in once a year to Agco for a general inspection. They check everything out and perform maintenance on what we need to keep the cars running right. You'd be surprised on how fast you can save for a cruise without two car notes. (laughs) Wow, I never thought of that. I have time to do a little shopping this afternoon, though. I've got to get Harold a bathing suit. He keeps saying he wants one of those tiny Speedo suits because that's what everybody wears in Europe. And I cannot let that happen. Okay, now I have an image of Harold strutting around the pool in a Speedo. I think I'm going to book a general inspection from Agco to clear my mind. He wanted hot pink, too. (laughs) Tina, stop. Schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go. Hey, welcome back. Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Alzan, president of Agco Automotive. Got our lead tech, Mr. Brian Terry, right here in the co-pilot seat. Hey, between two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Why don't you go and give us a call? we still got a few minutes. We'll be glad to try to help you out if we can. And, you know, you made a comment on that brake booster, another way to check that. Right. Instead of taking the, the time to take the master off because you got to find a socket, get a swivel, get an extension, you know, and take the bolts off. If the vacuum line going into the booster does not have an electrical valve on, it's just the the regular check valve, you can pull that check valve out and run something down in there like a piece of plastic. I like to use a 14-inch zip tie, the plastic zip ties. Mm -hmm. Just run it down in there. If you pull it it out and it's wet on the end, then you can bank it. It's it's got fluid in it. There should be no fluid at all inside that booster. That should be dry air only. And what happens when the brake fluid leaks in, number one, it's going to start eating up that booster diaphragm correct and once it's it eats the a, diaphragm up and gets a vacuum then it's gonna suck the seals out the back of the master and make it way worse yep i know my my first cousin had that problem on his truck and uh-huh. when he would accelerate he get a big puff of white smoke out the back right and what it was it was had gotten enough fluid in the booster to where it would draw it out into the intake run through the engine it was breaking up that carbon and boof big puff Blow, of smoke yep. Of course, about three months later, his catalytic converter went out. (laughs) They're not designed to to burn brake fluid. But that is a common, common Chevy problem on those year models. Through the Tahoe, the Silverado, and most all the the truck truck chassis. chassis. And I've got an article on the website on it, and there's several different designs that they've played with. I don't know if they ever got it right. but I don't know what we've been using, the the redesign, the latest redesign we've been using, we've had pretty good luck with. Yeah, it seems to be working pretty well, but... Yeah, that's one of those things that, like you said, it's not very difficult to replace the booster in the master cylinder, but bleeding the brakes, if you have active braking, can take longer than it takes to change the booster sure. in the master. And if you don't have a GM scan tool to run to the valves and run the those valves unit. and all, because there's a regular procedure built into the software that allows you to go in and cycle all this stuff. But you have to have a GM scan tool to access it to make it run. Right. You may end up having to tow this vehicle somewhere with no brakes at all because if you get in there and start trying to foot bleed it like you've done for a million years. Oh, yeah. it'll it'll The pedal just go. gets lower every time you pump it. Usually about the third time, mm-hmm. it goes to the floor. And that's it. Yeah. No brakes. And it's not coming up because it's got enough air caught in it to where it can't produce pressure anymore. Right. So there's nothing to force the fluid out. 
Yeah, it's kind of a uh, – I remember the first one we ran across, like, holy cow, what's yeah. happened here, you know? <laughs> exactly. I like yeah. to take – we've got a, a pressure bleeder. It's a, a little a pot. tank. It's a pot with a diaphragm in it. It holds air, air on one side and brake fluid on the other. Mm -hmm. You charge it, and you can force brake fluid into the system while you're bleeding it with the scan tool. And that works relatively well. Yeah, you can get the job done fairly quickly like that, but without something like that to work with. Oh, yeah, you, you, you're fighting yourself. Yeah, I don't know. More and more cars are going to those sorts of things where these procedures that we always use no longer work. just won't work. And, and, and a lot of times they create more problem than, than they fix. Well, that's exactly right. I remember back many years ago when they first went to the spring-loaded tie rods and all that used to be you had a tie rod was just a ball and socket joint maybe made out of brass and steel and what have you and one way that a lot of technicians would check the tie rods they take a big pair of water pump pliers and they'd squeeze on that tie rod right and if there was no slack up and down then it was good they knew it was good but nowadays they're spring-loaded with plastics and all that sort of thing and if you do that you will very likely damage the tie rod it's going to show bad sure by that method which it isn't bad or wasn't bad till you did that till you did that <laughs> <laughs> but now you crush the spring in it and then damage some of those polymers and plastics in there right so now you do have a bad tie rod so and and the the problem is the replacement's going to do the same thing that's right the new so one if, you put on if you try it again it's going to do the same thing yep yeah very very many of the old procedures that used to be able to get by just won't, won't work get anymore. by anymore and I see we're just totally out of time. I want to tell everybody how much we appreciate them listening this morning and every Saturday morning on the Automotive Hour. I'd like to thank all our podcasters for listening this week and every week. Tell your friends, go to your favorite broadcast or rebroadcast service and find a written review and fill it out for us, please. There you go. Positive review will move us up in the ranking so more people can get to listen to us and we can keep on doing the show. Hey, preceding was opinion based on our experience in the automotive industry. Have a great weekend. <laughs>